Good morning. So glad to see everyone here, and uh, just good to see your smiles. Welcome to everyone that's joining us online as well. Uh, whether you're camping or at home or have family in town or vacation, whatever it may be, uh, glad that you're joining us online as well. And uh, I'm glad people are here. I just kept hearing about how everyone's traveling this weekend, and you're here. And, uh, and so glad to see you. We're going to be looking at Psalm 23, a really familiar psalm, and, and hopefully we're going to hit it from a little bit of a different angle here today as we uh, enter into this Memorial Day weekend. And this Memorial Day weekend, I want us to be thinking about, as Nick said, the sacrifice of Jesus and the sacrifice of others. And, and as we look at this message, embracing grieving and loss, to be thinking about what that is and, and how do we walk through this um, and, and really understand what it means to be healthy as we follow Jesus Christ. And so we're going to begin by reading uh, this familiar psalm and a psalm that is often used at many uh, services, many funerals, many memorials. And would you hear these words um, this morning? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you just pause for a moment and just rest hearing those words, and then I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. Spirit of God, we welcome you. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for how you walk with us, how you've promised not to leave us alone. Thank you for the gift of Jesus who brings salvation, who takes us from the places we were and brings us into a new reality, who brings us hope and strength and purpose and calling. So, Father God, today, we pray that your spirit would move, that we would see you, Lord, that you would do a work in us and through us. And we pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. So today, I want to I give you three different words, but before I give you those three different words, uh, I want us to think about this. Uh, I thought for a moment about having you do this, but we're just going to skip over that part. So I want you just to think about this. I want you to think about this, the first position you're in right now. Like, what is the state of your body? Like, maybe centered, rested, focused. Second phase. What if I were to ask you to stand up and to spin around in a circle 10 times? This is a part I'm skipping over. <laughs> Just going to do it for our well-being here. Maybe, maybe it's like me on a swing now when I'm swinging with my kids. I get dizzy really easy now. Or maybe it's just quickly standing up. If you were to spin around 10 times really quickly here, I imagine we'd all be dizzy, right? I probably so, do that. 
Not you. Corey, Corey is going to skip right over the distance. <laughs> so, so we spin around, and there's this different states, right? We're in this dizzy, this spinning reality. And then what do we need to do? We need to just, okay, I'm here, right? I sit down, and then it takes a while to go into our third state. And so the three words that I want to give to you are the three phrases here today that we want to talk about as we look at Psalm 23 is first, orientation. That's our current state, where we're at. Our second state is disorientation. That's that spinning reality. And then the third thing is, is new orientation or reorientation. Whatever one you like better is fine. That's where we come back from that disorienting reality and we're in this new orientation or this reorientation. So we walk through these patterns in life. This is what happens to us on repeat. It's a cycle. We're oriented, we're disoriented, and then there's new orientation. And then we go into a new season of disorientation, and then there's new orientation. And it's a cycle we walk through throughout life again and again and again. And the seasons are just different lengths each time. But this is what we're seeing also in Psalm 23. The first thing is orientation. This is a season where things are good, where there's peace and calm and purpose where everything makes sense, or just about everything makes sense. You know what to expect in the day ahead of you. You know what to expect in the week ahead of you, where there's just this normal reality. It's comfortable, it's reliable, it's predictable. Some might say it's the world before March of 2020, right? where there was this predictability to it, and there was this comfort to it. And I'm not saying that's always good by any means, but there's this predictability there. The psalmist describes it this way in the first three verses of Psalm 23. I want you to think of the orientation, the, the reliability here. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Like we're just, it's good, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Again, this good, this peace, this stillness, this wholeness, this normalcy. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. So these are just good relationships. We breathe easy. We sleep well. It's just this season of like, ah, all is good. But then what happens? It's not always orientation. It's disorientation, right? Where it's that spinning like, what is going on? We get into this disorienting season that can look like a lot of different ways. It has many different faces and situations, and, and maybe it's a singular event that causes disorientation, or maybe it's a slow fade where you just recognize that the world around you, a relationship around you, something is just slowly changing, and it's beginning to disorient you. It can happen quickly. It can happen slowly. And in this time, you feel like you're living in between two realities where something is ending and something may be beginning, but you're in this state that some people call a liminal state, this in-between reality. And it can be unsettled and scary and unpredictable. We feel vulnerable and frustrated and there's doubt and there's fear and there's loss. The control that we thought we had is, is gone. We want answers, but all there are are questions. We realize that we're not in control. Have you been there? Are you there? I have. And I'm pretty sure you've been there too. 
This weekend alone is a disorienting reality to many, many people. Maybe you. Memorial Day, I think of a conversation that I had a couple years ago here following a service. As I talked to one person, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're grilling this weekend. We're going to swim. We're going to hang out with family. We're going to do all this. And it's like, yeah. And then I went and talked to someone else who was a couple years younger than me. I said, what are you doing this weekend? Expecting the same answer. He said, I'm going to go visit some old military buddies. I'm like, oh, where do they live? Silly question. He said, I'm going to go visit their grave sites. It was a disorienting, disorienting weekend for this individual. And every time this weekend comes, I think of him and I think of that conversation. And maybe that's like you, as you think of that loved one, that family member, that friend, that person that you served alongside of. As you think back to this disorienting reality and there's still this remnant there, or maybe it's extremely fresh on these weekends. See, these disorienting realities can be something like we just talked about. It can be a death. It can be an illness. It can be a job loss. It can be a financial hardship. It can be many different things. But for Jerry's sister, it was a car accident. This week, I read about Jerry and his wife, Linda. They were driving in 1991. They were driving with Jerry's mother and their four children, ages two to eight. They were driving in their minivan in Idaho, and as they came uh, down the highway there, there was another car approaching them. And there wasn't time to move out of the way or do anything. And this other car driven by a drunk driver hit them head on. And they were in a really rural part of Idaho. And as Jerry tells the story that it took about an hour for any first responders to get there because of where they were. And so there they were on the road. The couple, his mother, and four children. And Jerry said these words. He said, I remember those first moments after the accident as if everything was happening in slow motion. They are frozen in my memory with a terrible vividness. I remember the feeling of panic that struck my soul as I watched Linda, his wife, my mother, and Diana Jane, his daughter, all die before his eyes. I remember the pandemonium that followed, people gawking, lights flashing from emergency vehicles, the helicopter whirling overhead, cars lining up, medical experts doing what they could do to help. And I remember the realization sweeping over me that I would soon plunge into a darkness from which I might never again emerge as a sane, normal, believing man. This is disorientation. A few years later, he wrote a book entitled A Grace Disguised, How a Soul Grows Through Loss. And with a few years of processing, he wrote these words about disorientation, about loss, about grief. Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past. It is not, therefore, true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became part of who I am. Sorrow took a permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. One learned the pain of others by suffering one own pain. 
by turning inside oneself, by finding one's own soul. However painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. It doesn't make sense. But unless you've been there, you could start to understand what that means is the soul is like a balloon. It's elastic. Is that loss doesn't have to make us less. That loss can cause us to grow. It can cause us to become bitter or it can cause us to become better. I look at those words again. He talked about how loss makes us more, how sorrow takes up a permanent residence in our soul and enlarges it if we allow it. For so many people, we just take grief and loss and we suppress it. No, I'm not going to deal with it. No, I'm not going to think about it. No, this goes over here. And then it shows its ugly head and we don't know what to do with it. But what Jerry is saying here is that, Dr. Sitzer is saying here is that we allow it to enlarge who we are as humans. We allow it to enlarge us as followers of Christ. Even though disorientation may feel like a permanent season, it doesn't have to be permanent. There's purpose and there's direction and there's growth in it if, it, if we allow it. Think again of Psalm 23. Look at verse 4. The psalmist said it this way about disorientation. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in our fear and this disorientation, whether it's a big thing or whether it is a small thing in your mind, that the Lord is there as that comfort in the place of fear. In our loneliness, God is with us. It's the beauty of this passage is that we don't walk alone in this passage, that God is with us. And that in our battles, that he is our protector. See, in this disorientation, we, we're called to embrace it because it can be a time of significant spiritual formation. Massive spiritual formation is available. See, when we embrace this, it's a, a time that really transports us into a new season with God or can transport us into a new season. If, if I were to ask you to come forward and individually share your story, put a microphone in your hands, I imagine you telling your story would not be all the perfect, wonderful things that have happened to you in life. I imagine you would tell some parts with some really hard elements, some painful elements, some loss. Because as I've said before, is that when someone tells their story and it's all about how they're, they're, they gain their wealth and they have all these things and their life is perfect and all these things, I, I think that's a boring story. I really do. And, and I think the interesting story is when someone lays out their life and this is what I walked through. This was the pain, the brokenness. Much like we talked about last week when the son returned to the father that son who humbled himself before the Lord, who confessed before the Lord, he received by the Father, welcomed back, had a story to tell, not to brag about what he did, 
but rather to talk about the grace and the mercy and how God brought him to a new place, how God did something new in his life. I think those are the interesting stories of the pain, the hardship, and this is how God was faithful, and this is how I'm walking through it, or this is how I've walked through it. I think those are really interesting stories. So we need to be present to these times of discomfort, this disorientation where things feel out of control. We give our desire to control to God in these moments. So how do we walk through these times of disorientation? Because orientation is normal, it's comfortable, like we, we exist in that, right? But what does it mean to walk through this time of disorientation and ultimately into a season of new orientation? So I'm going to give you three things uh, along with this. First thing, how do we walk through the season of disorientation? The first thing is to lament while disoriented. Now, I'm guessing you probably didn't use the word lament this week. True? Right. Most likely. Maybe someone threw that out there. But lament means to express grief or sorrow. We have an entire book of the Bible, Lamentations, committed to a lament. Uh, Habakkuk lamented over Israel and the coming judgment. Jesus lamented in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Psalms are filled with laments. This grief, this sorrow, this outpouring of what's going on. And in laments, there's a pattern that happens. When we lament, there's a pattern we can learn from the Psalms. Is first, we cry out to God. We cry out to God. There's an example in Psalm 6. And for all of us that try to hold back our emotion, our feeling, I want you to hear from the psalmist what they did. Psalm 6, verse 6 and 7. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. I mean, this is this massive outpouring of grief, of loss, of brokenness. There's this crying out to God. So when we lament, we cry out to God. The second part of lament that we see is really asking for help. So we cry out, so God, this is what's going on. God, I need you. Help me in this situation. Help me. The third part of the psalm that we see in these laments is this respond of trust and praise. So we cry out, we ask for help, and then we say, God, we trust you. God, we trust you. We think back of how God was faithful. We think of the things that God has done in our own life and in the lives of others. That's one of the beautiful things about those of you who journal. I wish I was better at it. You can look back and you can see how God has been faithful. Or even those that write down in their Bibles moments in life. And God's speaking this. And they look back and as they're reading a passage, oh, I remember back in 1984, such and such talked about this same passage. And I remember I was going through this season. God, you were faithful then, and I know I know now you're going to be faithful again. So we lament by crying out to God, asking for help, responding in trust and praise. And whatever that is that's disorienting, disorienting we need to lament it. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote one of the just general uh, pivotal works uh, called Death and Dying, and what she's most well known for is stages of grief. And the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. 
as we, we walk through grief, whatever it is, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, we grieve these things. And she argues that when we walk through it, we deny it. No, this isn't really happening. We can't do this. This is, no, 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 no. This is not real. This is not real. Or we get angry. God, I'm so mad at you for whatever this may be. Or another person, I can't believe you did this. Then we start bargaining. Lord, if you just heal this person of this cancer, I will go to church every single Sunday. I will read my Bible every single day. We start to bargain. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. And then she says, we go into this depression where it's this like just sadness, this, this withdrawal. And then finally, it comes to this point of acceptance of this is the way it is. This really happened. I'm hurt. This is grief. This is grief. And God built us with emotions. Don't walk away from them. We don't have to be led by emotions. We be led by the spirit of God, but we respond. What are you doing in our emotion? It's what we've been talking about. We go and we meet God in the middle of that emotion. So the first thing we do, first thing we do is we lament. The second thing we do is we wait. Who likes to wait? Well, I think I saw one hand. Wow. I need to learn from you. <laughs> I love it. I do not like to wait. I am not a patient person. Joanna and I were talking about that the other day. She thanked me for being patient. And I'm like, are you, talk- are you talking to the right person? <laughs> she said, well, outwardly, you seem very patient. I'm like, it's, it's a mess inside. Uh, so, so we wait while we're disoriented. I want to fix. I want things to be done. I want it now. Remember our dizziness? If we're in that stage of dizziness, we just spun around and we were on the swing or we just stood up too quick. What's the worst thing we can do? Probably start running, right? Or walking. We've all seen that in the baseball bat where you put your head down and you spin around and then people run. What do they do? They or they run way off. But yet in our dizziness, in our pain, in our grief, in our lamenting, we decide that's the best time to make big decisions in life. We decide that's the best time to make a radical change. No, 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 no. You wait. When you're dizzy, when you're disoriented, you wait. You grab the chair or table by you and you're like, all right, it's going to come back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steady myself here shortly. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said this in chapter 40. Even youths grow faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who are waiting, waiting will renew their strength. So the steadying is not weakness. It's a renewal of strength. It's a renewal of centering. So, so when something is offset, when something is dizzying, wait. The psalmist said this in chapter 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Transformation takes time. Transformation takes a lot of time. And times of disorientation are intended to strengthen us in our faith. So we lament and we wait. The third thing and final thing is we release while disoriented. We release. 
So in these times of disorientation, grief, and loss, we go, nope, it's mine. I've done this so many times. And it's release. You've seen it before, is that right here, it's like, no, I'm not letting go of this. I'm not letting go of this person, this situation, this job, this whatever it is. No, I'm not letting go of this. And God's like, I've got something I want to give you, but it's kind of hard to put it in your hands. Because we don't want things taken from us, but it's hard to receive. Whereas like this, God, I trust you. My life is yours. It's easy for God to take, but it's also easy for God to give. It's this open-handed reality. We release our personal expectations and plans and trust God. Consider Jeremiah 29.11. We love Jeremiah 29.11. Right? It says this, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we love to use this verse in times of orientation. Like, God is good. He is. But this verse was not written to people who are in a time of orientation, in a good season. It was not for them. I want you to hear who this verse was for in the next three verses. Verse 12 says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So there's this movement towards God. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring back, bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Did you catch it? They're in captivity, they're in exile, they're in banishment. It's not a good place. It's a season of disorientation. And this is a promise from God to those in that season of dizziness, that season of disorientation of, I will bring you back. I have plans for you. I am working in this. And that's what you need to hear today. If you're in a season of dizziness, of disorientation, God has plans. If you're in that exile, that captivity, God has plans. God is doing something in you and through you. And we discover that God is with us. We discover that, that in the anger, the doubt, the frustration, the confusion that comes with disorientation, we find these new truths about God, of who he has always been. We just didn't see him that way. The new reality helps us really connect and praise God and realize God really does love me. God really does. Because again, in the seasons of orientation, it's like, yeah, things are good. I'm good. Yeah, God loves me. Thank you, God. You ever find the people that are in these seasons of disorientation have a, a, an amazing trust and faith? I can't tell you the number of times I've come to visit you in hospitals or in different places or people in nursing homes or homes. And I've walked in with the intent of like, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to speak some life. I'm going to pray over them. And then the time that I'm there is just you speaking about God's goodness and faithfulness and grace and I walk out being ministered to. I'm like, I didn't even do what I was supposed to do. Like, it's just this immense faith that comes from so many people in these times of disorientation. That's not always the case, but it's a beautiful thing when you see this. It's an encouragement so that when I'm in that season of disorientation, I remember God is faithful. I've seen him work in these lives. So we move eventually from disorientation to a new orientation. Now, in this COVID season, I've heard so many people say, and, and, and fewer people now, is like, once we get back to normal, once we get back to the way it was, 
Yeah, it's not going to happen. Sorry to burst that bubble. But rather, people are starting to talk about and have talked about this new normal, this new reality that's there. And what it is, is a new orientation. We may desire to go back after disorientation into what was in that orientation, but that's not the case. We've experienced something in a disorientation, that dizziness that has affected us. And we're moving into a new orientation because we can't erase that thing that happened. We can't erase that memory, that relationship, that job, whatever it is, that illness. It has changed us and it's changed our world. And to deny that and just say, I'm going back here, I'm ignoring this, is really unhealthy. And it's not what God wants to do with us. He wants to use this season of disorientation to shape us into the person that he's calling us to be. And so how do we know that we've moved into this new stage? Well, I think two things happen. One, we acknowledge that God has brought us into this new stage, that it was God himself that brought us through the season of disorientation into this new season. We acknowledge his sovereignty that God is God and we're not God. I'm thankful for that. But also we find gratitude in it. We acknowledge that God brought us in his sovereignty to this, to this new place. But we do it with gratitude. I've shared many times, um, the most dis single most disoriented season in our life was, as I've shared many times, is our miscarriages, our four consecutive miscarriages. The statistical percentages of having four in a row is so minuscule that we're like, we can't just go back to the way we were. There's something that happened. And, and we look now of like, God brought us into this next season. And we do it with such gratitude, not ever wishing this on anyone or that we would want to experience this season again. But we have an eight-year-old boy that it breaks my heart to think about that I wouldn't have in our life because we would have ne never met Evan. We would have never walked that path of adoption. We would have never had him in our home and never had that joy. We talk so often about what our home would be like without him. See, we, we walked through the season of dizziness and disorientation, and now we're in the season of new orientation. You have done the same thing, or you're walking to that point, whatever it may be. God loves you way too much to just leave you in this season of disorientation. So if you're there in that season of disorientation, he loves you way too much just to leave you there. And he's calling you, keep walking towards me. Keep walking with me. There's this new orientation that's unfolding. The psalmist said it this way. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Do you hear this? See, there was, in the first part, there was green pastures and quiet waters and stillness. That's orientation. Then there's disorientation, this valley, this dark valley. And then now there's a table prepared in this new orientation. There's a difference between a table that's prepared and a river and a green pasture. We may say, I want that stillness. But God's like, I've got a table here for you. And in the presence of your enemies, in the presence of that hardship that you have walked through, this is what God is doing. He's anointing your head with oil. Your cup is overflowing. There's this blessing at this table. And then ultimately in verse 6, it says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. This table has goodness and love, the presence of God. And then ultimately this dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. 
There's orientation, disorientation, new orientation. And there's a revealing in this passage that God was with us all along. God was with us in the stillness and the quiet. God was with us in the dark valley. And God is with us at the table and ultimately in the house of the Lord forever. There's another place in scripture where there's orientation, disorientation, and new orientation. And it's the most important disorientation to new orientation that there possibly could be. Paul says it this way. If you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. The first three verses again are verses of orientation. I want you to consider the orientation that we were all in. Chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. This is our orientation as human beings. Every single human being. This is our orientation. And then what happens is a dizziness, a disorientation, a change in verse Four and verse five. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. This is disorientation. This is a change from the old to the new. This is the work of Jesus transforming something that we walked in, that we lived in, whether we lived in for four years when we received Christ as a child, or whether we're still to that point of walking in that. Jesus comes and there's this disorientation that takes place. This, this movement, this change of the heart, something in the mind, it's a mysterious work of salvation where we start to say, I've been living life on my own. I am following the ways of the world. I'm satisfying my own cravings of the flesh, the desires and my thoughts. But, but God did something through Jesus that he saved us. And then when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we confess our sins, we confess those things. There is a new orientation that happens. There is a change that happens within us and around us that affects all of our relationships, that affects our marriage, that affects our job. And this is the new orientation in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is this change of position, this saving work of Jesus Christ, this, this old passing away, this new coming. For it is by grace You have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So again, just like we talked about earlier, is in these seasons of orientation, then something catastrophic happens, something that's an event or like a slow slide happens. We're not necessarily causing this change, nor are we bringing the complete change and healing God wants into the season. We're trusting God. We're leaning into him. Same thing with salvation as we come to this point of like, wow, I've been serving myself. I'm, I'm a sinner. There's brokenness within me that I can't heal. Jesus does a work and we step into that. There's nothing we did. It's not about what we did. It's by grace that we're saved. Salvation, and he brings us into a new orientation, this relationship with him. Many of us in this place have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we, we walk with Christ. We follow him. But some of us haven't. And also many people around us have not. So we as followers of Christ, we, we pray for those around us. We speak life. We encourage. We share good news. But we also, also offer gospel hope, salvation, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father through him. And so I want to invite you, whether you're here today, whether you're at home, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would take a moment and you would just, just we just all quiet our hearts and, and close our eyes. If you've never received Christ, There may be just a knocking, like a, a tinge in your heart, in your mind, just something moving in you. Don't push that away. Don't deny that. It's the Spirit of God calling you to himself, calling you to salvation. And if that's you, I invite you just to begin a relationship with Christ by um, just praying a simple prayer. Really what it is is the intent behind it. Many of us in this space have done that, whether as children or teenagers or adults. At some point in our life, we've, we've done this. And so if this is you, and you want to surrender your life to God today, trusting Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to, to pray with me, just quietly in your own heart, in your own mind. God knows. Again, whether you're here or whether you're at home or traveling, wherever it may be. It's God, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I have sinned. And I've fallen short of you. But today, I confess my sin. I confess everything that I've done wrong. I admit it to you and that I'm in need of a Savior. And I believe that Savior's name is Jesus. trusting the work that Jesus did on the cross as one to take all of my sin. Trusting your word that says that, that Jesus is the way. I'm proclaiming him as the way. I'm proclaiming him as the truth. And I'm proclaiming him as the life today in my own life. And that today I'm coming to you, Father God, Lord, I thank you that you have forgiven my sin and you have welcomed me as your child. And so, Lord, I trust you. And God, this day I want to follow after you. 
will seek you. Scriptures tell us the, the angels in heaven celebrate even one who is lost and returns. So heaven celebrate. And for all of us here today, who are walking through different seasons, whether it's orientation, disorientation, or a new orientation, God, thank you that you meet us in this place. God, thank you that you are faithful, you are strong, you are that rock. Lord, may you increase our trust in you. God, may we rest more in your grace and your mercy. Lord, if we are in this season of disorientation, that we would, we would cry out to you. We would wait. We would seek you in decisions that we're making. And we would release it to you, just open-handed. And for those of us that are moving into new seasons of new orientation or reorientation, Jesus, continue to minister to hearts and minds. Lord, help in this adjustment, this movement. God, may you increase our faith. So, Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for you. And we pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. Amen.